gorgeous Georgian goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back here on a Thursday morning for your Thursday delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so. We got a couple interviews with Gilbert Melendez, Rich Franklin, and of course, we'll cover the latest news. It is a big week for one championship, so we'll kind of give you all the particulars, all the info for those two cards on Friday. There's an early morning card, and there's a prime time card. That's right, their debut on Amazon Prime Video. So we'll give we'll go over all that. It's going to be a fun show, as always, as we continue closing in on 3,300 shows. All right, go. Since one championship is the big deal this week, let me give our friends all the info they need for that. Because one championship has two shows. One of them's called One Championship 160. Sorry, I lost my voice there. 160, and that's headlined by Ray Yoon OK defending his lightweight title versus Christian Lee. So this is a rematch. They're running it back. In the co-main event, Tan Lee, Tan Lee, excuse me, he fights Tang Kai for the featherweight title. Lee is defending against Kai. So Lee is defending against Kai in the featherweight title, and the other Lee, Christian Lee, is challenging OK uh, in the main event for the lightweight title. This is one championship, 160 OK versus Lee 2. Both shows are at Singapore Indoor Stadium. However, this one starts Friday at 8.30 a.m. Eastern start time, 5.30 a.m. Pacific start time. You can watch the fights on the one championship app. And if you really want to get down and dirty, there are some prelims on the One Championship app at 7.30 a.m. Eastern, 4.30 a.m. Pacific. So early Friday, just like it's always been with One Championship, two title fights should be a good fight. Goes and I spoke to Tan Lee yesterday, and we've spoken to Christian Lee many times. That's two of their bigger stars, Goes. Yeah. Um, You know, Tom Lee is pretty fired up. I don't know if you saw uh, the trash talk that was going, not really back and forth because Tom Lee wasn't really saying much, but when you say you're going to come out and kill somebody, yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's pretty uh, primal. Mm-hmm. Both guys, Kai Tang and Kang Tai, excuse me, and Tom Lee, both guys have a lot of first-round finishes and a lot of second-round finishes. This one will be worth it, folks, for you to get up early and watch one championship, two title fights in the morning on the One Championship app, which is one of the best apps to watch fights on. It's free. You got to check it out. And like I say, I don't think you'll be let down. These one, these uh, fights will be pretty solid. Now, later on that evening, One Championship debuts on Prime Video. This one's called One on Prime Video 1, Marias versus Johnson 2. Marias and Johnson is Adriana Marias and Demetrius Johnson. They're running it back. If you'll recall, 
Adriana Marias upset Demetrius Johnson in the spring of 2021, a, a little over a year later, maybe closer to a year and a half. They're getting down again for the one championship flyweight title. Marias 23-0 and against Johnson 34-1. and The fights can be seen 10 p.m. Eastern start time on Prime Video, 7 p.m. Pacific time zone on Prime Video. So the same day, two different ways to watch the fights. In Singapore, that first card I was telling you about, it's at night. So that's when they go and do the red carpet and people come in tuxedos and suits. It's really, really swanky out there. And mm-hmm. then the following morning, these fighters are going to be fighting in the morning. They're doing this so that we can get a primetime show on Prime Video. Um, Marcus Almeida also on the card against Kirill Grishenko. And those are the big names. I, I do know that Yuri Lapicus is back. And uh, so is Rotang, the Muay Thai superstar who Demetrius Johnson fought in a hybrid card. He is also on the card. That was part cool What's that? Sorry, I was, I was saying that was pretty cool. I don't know if you saw that clip this morning of them running into each other and embracing. Yeah. You can tell that uh, no hard feelings, you know? And they're both very respected in what they do. They're both in a Grand Prix, so it should be fun. It's great that the champion's participating. All right, so there you have it. That's what's going on with one championship. We'll get, probably give you one more reminder before the show's over. But let's get into some news, goes. Uh, Rockhold retired this year. He turned in his paperwork, and he backed it up with saying he's retired from the sport. Because if you recall, when he fought Paulo Costa this past week, he took off the gloves. Joe Rogan interviewed him. Rockhold says he's getting old. It hurts. But he walked out with the gloves. He didn't lay them down. It's kind of like the tradition. And... But he's pretty much made it clear, you know, no more testing from USADA. Paperwork turned in. He's done. Of course, we can discuss separately. Will he be back? Could he go somewhere else? I don't know. I don't even want to get into that because anything's possible, honestly. But uh, what do you what do you want to say to Luke Rockhold goes now that we kind of know that he's done at least with the UFC? I think it was a good career overall. Um, I think a lot of people would killed to have that type of career and to do the things that he's done he makes money outside of mixed martial arts so i understand his position but he's never really struck me he's just been angry luke but i don't think uh i don't think we could say aside from like the surgeries and stuff like that 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 he's just destroyed you know mma's destroyed him or anything like that so I could see if something popped up that he liked, maybe coming back and uh, and doing something. You know, he's got a relationship with Scott Coker. That's always an option, right? But uh, because he does seem like a competitor. I think at the end of the day, he loves to compete. Mm-hmm. But that fight, like, I, I wish somebody would have asked him, like, how much of you being tired was Salt Lake City? And how much is was it just you just being older, just not being able to get into these firefights with these young cats? I'd like to know that question because that would really answer the fa- the the question of would I ever want him to come back? You know, if he trained his ass off and that's what he was able to do, then yeah, maybe it's time to walk away. But but if he did maybe uh, underestimate the altitude, then yeah, I think I might want to see him one more time. 
let's not forget, he went up against the Beast, and his chin held up to a lot of shots. You know, three years off is a long time. That's a lot of rust that needs to come off early on. And by the time you're maybe getting in a groove, you're already down around, maybe a round and a half. I don't know. You know, he said those three years were needed spiritually, psycho psychologically, physically. You know, I know he'd been ready to go for about a year now, but he just couldn't get it together. So, I don't know. I think he answered a lot of questions. But, yeah. It, did Salt Lake City have a lot to do with it? Or was he just kind of done anyway? Now, what he did say goes was he felt like he never got the love from Dana White. And... I, I I looked at his record, right? He came over as a strike force champion. When he defeated Ronaldo Souza, it was September of 2011. And then he fought two fights. He had two title defenses for his strike force middleweight belt. One was Keith Jardine, second one was Tim Kennedy. Jardine fight ended in a TKO, Kennedy ended in the decision. His first fight in the UFC was against Vitor Belfort. You know how personal he's taken that one. Feels like Vitor was at the height of his TRT days. He wasn't mad that night. He felt like the, the technique was clean. But I think since time has come off, and what are you supposed to say, man? When you're humiliated and knocked out, like, you know, most of the time you just want to give the guy props. But then when you think about it and reality sets in, I bet you that's when you're like, oh, oh this, this wasn't fair or whatever. But at the time, the TRT exemptions were everywhere. There was no USADA. So what are you going to do? But I see what he's saying now. So he loses to Vitor Belfort, but then he wins five straight. All right? Or, sorry, four straight before he got the shot against Chris Weidman. I think he's thinking, wait a minute. I'm the strike force champ. I went down to Vitor, a former champion in the light heavyweight division, a UFC legend. But other than that, man, I'm, you know, at this point in time, I'm 14 and two. Why is it taking so long for, for me to get this title shot against Chris Weidman? And then he wound up beating Chris Weidman. But what he, I remember him saying this during fight week. He said when Gil came over, he got immediate love. And he's right. Gilbert Melendez, um, he, he was the strike force champ. He came straight into a title shot against Benton Henderson, lost via split decision. So. You know, here's one strike force champ that got a lot of love, and then the other one didn't go straight into a, a, a title shot. And what's weird is the early days of the UFC, there's so many people that will tell you this, and I know this is a sensitive topic, but it was a little bit of a white man's sport. Luke is a white dude, you know? So you almost would have thought, like, wow, this is a, a revival of the old days in the UFC before we started getting so many international fighters, African-American fighters, Latino fighters that are – now, obviously, there's incredible diversity in this sport. You know what I mean? It was the white American wrestler that was just really, really dominant. And, of course, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys. But, um, yeah, I mean, that is a long time. That is a long road. You know, yeah, you, you took a hip hiccup against Vitor Belfort, but why are you fighting so many other times before you get back in there? I don't know. So he did have a point there, and he used a good example in Gilbert Melendez. He also said Daniel Cormier. I didn't have time to pull up his record to see what went on in with him. But as we know, Daniel Cormier seems to have always been loved by the UFC to this day. Yeah, and the UFC's always loved that heavyweight division. I mean, he makes he makes good points. Um, but I don't know that his career would have been that much different. Well, if he wins the title, yeah. 
you know, financially and all that. But otherwise, he's just maybe cruising along, seeing other teammates get a ton of love and not him. Because remember, back then, Cain Velasquez was still fighting. He was a mauler. DC was fighting. You know, he was a mauler. And, you know, I think Luke felt like the uh, of the Holy Trinity before Khabib joined, and it was a fearsome foursome. Of the Holy Trinity, he was kind of like um, the the Holy Spirit, I guess. Not God and not Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I don't know what example to give, but you know what I'm saying. The lesser loved of, of the three. Mm-hmm. I was going to say uh, Spinderella or something. <laughs> I was trying to think of trio groups, but wasn't it salt and pepper and then the girl in the back was Spinderella? Yeah. Which, by the way, that's one of the coolest female DJ nicknames you could have, right? Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. If you ever get a chance, watch the BET series they did on them. It's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, Salt and Pepper, Spinderella, you got to give them their due, man. They they did great. Anyway, look, sticking with the middleweight theme, let's get our next guest, our first guest going. Rich Franklin, former UFC middleweight champ, current one championship VP. We're going to talk about these two cards that we uh, talked about earlier. Junkie Nation, Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts. We're lucky to talk to former UFC middleweight champion, current one championship vice president, Rich Franklin. What's up, Rich? How are you? What are you guys going on? What's going on? I tell you what, if, if I'm your standard for good luck, then, oh, man, your day is going to be terrible today. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I have to take it slow because uh, tons of accolades. You've done so much in the sport. You're definitely a legend. Um, and then how about this? You guys served me this up on a platter. We're going to talk about one on Prime, one Marias versus Johnson, two, and one championship, 160 Lee versus Tang. So, yeah, man, you got to get it all right. You know what I mean? You guys got two big shows coming up on Friday. How jacked are you? You're in Singapore. Yeah, actually, I, I flew down here for this. I'll be commentating the the or helping commentate. I'm not the lead commentator for the one on Prime video event. Uh, and so we have two events this weekend. Actually, we have a Friday night event that's uh, headlined by Christian Lee versus Oak Ray Yoon. Uh, a little bit of controversy in the last matchup between those two guys. Uh, that will air Asia primetime on this side of the planet. But then we also have a Saturday morning show, Asia time, that will air U.S. primetime uh, on the East Coast. And that is the rematch between Adrian Marias and Demetrius Johnson. So we have essentially we have two rematches uh, this weekend. And I'm, I'm pretty jacked to not only watch these fights, but to help commentate with them. I remember in your career, you fought in Vegas plenty of times. So it's a mm. 7 p.m. start over here. Back east, even in your hometown, Cincinnati, 10 p.m. start time there. And then overseas when you had to go to the U.K., you know, a whole different thing. How much does this throw off the morning, guys? Is it Can they get used to it or does it still mess with you? I always I always tell people that when I was competing for a match, I would always – you. it takes you one day for every time zone that you travel to to get the body to uh, adjust. So – if, for example, in Asia here, I'm a complete 12-hour split from the uh, the East Coast time zone. So if I was going to compete here, I would want to arrive at least 12 days ahead of my match. And that's a bit problematic because 
you, you want to stay in your routine, in your groove of things. And anytime you travel, you have to bring everything with you. You have to, if you, you know, I was cutting weight at the time. We have our hydration policies over here, but I would want to say, stay as self-contained with my food as possible. You need to bring your training partners. So competing on another side of the planet can become quite tricky with the logistics of things. Rich, you also are going to get to commentate. Well, the whole, you know, the one thing about one championship is the beauty of the hybrid cards, you know, where there's Muay Thai and grappling and MMA. Do you get jacked over one over the other, or are they kind of all the same now just because of the competitive juices and the, com the com competition between the high-level athletes that are competing? No, it's when it comes to commentating, you know, because I'm I'm calling I'm calling what I see in the in the fights, and I really enjoy doing that. And it doesn't really matter if I'm watching, for example, a grappling match or if I'm watching an MMA match. Actually, and I talked about this before. I wasn't a fan when one championship talked about like when Chatri started talking about doing Muay Thai matches and kickboxing matches in the MMA cards. I was like, nah. I, I was an MMA purist, and that's kind of uh, ironic to say because MMA is a mix of a bunch of stuff. But when we started doing these Muay Thai matches on the cars, I was like, this just is no, I'm, I, I, people show up to, to watch MMA matches. And we had our first event with the Muay Thai match. And I was like, mm, this is, this was pretty good. I liked it, but I didn't want to like it. I didn't want to admit that I liked it. And just several cards later, the, the, the events that we had with the Muay Thai matches, particularly because you see a level of striking that's beyond that of, uh, of MMA. And so calling those kind of matches and seeing the way that these guys or girls for that matter work in, in the ring, in the circle is, is pretty cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm, it doesn't matter. I like, I like calling the, the, the kickboxing, the Muay Thai matches. I will say this though. I'm not a fan of scoring the, the Muay Thai matches on air because I don't have a ton of experience with it yet. So I sometimes I get uncomfortable throwing my scores out there. Yeah, totally understand that one. Um, Tell me about the Lee family. You know, so often have they been the champions, so they're everyone's adjusting to them. Everyone's chasing them down. And as you noted earlier, in the main event of one championship, 160, uh, Christian Lee is going to be the uh, challenger. And what do you know about the, the Lee family and the ability to make adjustments coming off a loss? Uh, coming off a of loss. You know, I've known the Lee family for – several years now because obviously Angela was the first one that came into the organization. I can't remember when her first what year, her first fight was 2017, maybe I think. And, and so, you know, the one thing about the Lee family is that they're a very tight unit. They use each other for training partners, but it's, it's interesting how um, Ken, their father, Angela and Christian's father is kind of at the helm of the ship there. And he does an amazing job of setting up game plans and, making adjustments as needed. And you can see this just when, when you watch them work in the corner, the communication that's between the two of them, the synergy, there's, there's definitely a connection that I would say typically uh, uh, maybe a coach and an athlete doesn't have. And so it is, it is something pretty cool to watch. I think I always jokingly say that Ken is one of those guys who like when he was having kids, I think like he kind of like genetically engineered them. I always remember the movie soldier with Kurt Russell, where he was just pretty much designed to be a soldier and that's kind of what this entire family is because i mean you have you have angela that came in the league now christian they've both been champions and uh and then their younger sister now is starting to make her way up as well and so you know it wouldn't shock me if several years from now we see her as reigning champion in in, in weight class 
And then if you could talk a little bit about Tan Lee, he's going to be defending against Kai Tang. I've seen Tan Lee a lot, especially in the United States and then in one championship. I looked up a couple fights on Kai Tang. No joke, man. Can kick, can punch, and carrying a lot of momentum off that last win earlier this year. Talk about that matchup. Yeah, both of these guys are on a, on a multiple fight win streak. And I think that <clears throat> I think for this matchup, this is going to come down to uh, – the, the mental strategy that's behind uh, Tan Lee on this fight, like whether or not he's going to let a guy like Tang Kai get in his head because, um, you know, Tang is bit like, he's very hot headed. I, I don't know if you had to, if you heard of what he said after his last fight, but he said, I'm going to kill that mother blink. And so <laughs> he had some strong words to say. And then Tan, Tan, Tan's just so calm, cool and collected. He's like, you know what? that he's like that energy is just going to bring the best version of me out. So it, he didn't seem to let any of that get under his skin. And I'm wondering if he's going to use that to, uh, you know, to try to get Tang Kai fired up so that he's emotionally charged making mistakes. But nonetheless, these guys, these guys are each on six and eight fight win streaks. And, uh, and, and both of them love to throw hands. Uh, I would say that my assessment of the two of them is that Tan is a bit more well-rounded. Uh, so he has more avenues to win the fight, you know, take being able to take Tang Kai down. Like if it ends up on the ground, the, the fight is definitely in his favor. But Tang is he's seems impossible to take down. And he's basically said, like, Tom's not gonna be able to get me to the ground. And and uh so I do believe that this may end up being primarily a, a stand-up match where these two are just throwing bombs at each other. And you know, each of these guys have trouble escaping the first round when they're winning matches. Yeah. You know, Rich, I was just about to ask you about that. Those type of comments they fire up the fans right but i've often wondered with fighters uh when you were fighting your opponents when they tried to talk trash or say these types of things did it almost put them at a disadvantage like in other words they, you got to live up to what you're saying right does that almost put pressure on you as a fighter as the opponent do you think hey this guy's now playing into my hands my game plan here well how does all that psychological warfare warfare work in, in your head you know remember the old um the Remember the uh, feud between Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock? And remember how Tito got Ken so fired up that Ken kind of like slapped the chair and threw it across really? the stage? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't believe that that was uh, for the audience, for the fans, to help hype the fight. Like, I think he was really underneath Ken's skin at that point in time. And so if you have the ability to, uh, you know, get on – like. Even for example, like when I'm playing basketball, I'm not a great basketball player. I, I used to be decent, I guess. I'm like one of those guys that was formerly decent, but I will talk so much trash when I'm on the court because it's the only way that I can get an advantage playing the game. Like if I can just throw you off your game. And so when somebody is easily emotionally manipulated, then that's something that you you definitely have to take advantage of. And I think that I don't know if Tang is easily emotionally manipulated. He just kind of brings that heat the entire time to something like this. But it can if you let if you let your opponent get get to you, it can throw your game off because in the in the circle, like when you're competing, you need to be cerebral. Like you need to be thinking. Think it, you you've you think about this. You've spent weeks in camp uh, perfecting or you know pursuing a certain strategy that you're going to try to unfold in this fight, and suddenly just to throw that out the door because you became emotionally charged is not a smart thing to do in a match. And if you can get your opponent to do that, then it's just a bigger advantage for you. I did want to ask you a little bit about rematches. We talked about that. There are times when we watch a rematch and we feel like it's just a continuation of the first fight. In other words, we're just mm -hmm. adding more rounds, even in a trilogy, right? But then there's sometimes where we just feel like we watched a completely different fight 
What do you feel like here with Demetrius Johnson? Do we feel like extra rounds or are we going to see a completely different uh, fighter this time? I think, I think if I'm to make a prediction here, I think like the first round is going to feel like an extra round. Um, because Adriano, his body type and fight style is a difficult matchup for Demetrius. And so both of these guys uh, know what the other is capable of. And Adriano, obviously, he shocked the world last time. And to walk into the circle with the kind of confidence or swagger that, like, I'm just going to repeat, you know, like, I'm going to take control of this match and keep going. That's Demetrius is not the kind of guy that you want to want to do that with. You know, he's a strategist. He's going to come in with a, a new game plan. So I think there will be a feeling out process for the first round. But Demetrius definitely is going to have to, uh, I think, his key to victory in this, if he's going to win the match, is to play with ranges and keep Adriano guessing because Adriano is so tall and and long with those arms and, and good striking. And so with, with that height disadvantage that Demetrius has, he's going to have to play with these ranges and get to the inside. So I do believe that the first round will probably be like a feeling out round. Believe it or not, too, Rich, I feel like part of the therapeutic comeback for Demetrius Johnson you know, as great as he was, everything he accomplished, obviously that, that was a big loss he took against Adriano Marais. But I noticed Road Tang's on this card as well. And he went straight into the fire, willing to strike with Road Tang in that hybrid rules fight. You know what I mean? Like not not scared at all to like think, you know, I'm just gonna take him down and and, and this and that. I mean, both guys went at each other's strength. It was really, really exciting. But um tell me, like what do you see with Demetrius? Do you see someone who's even thinking of that, or um, or do you feel like he's gotten past it? I, 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 a lot of fighters when they lose a big match, they always wonder, will they be the same? And I, I think Demetrius will be just as strong or even better. Yeah, I do too. Especially as a fighter, as a fighter ages, you know, one thing that you gain is experience and knowledge as you get older. And if you at this stage of Demetrius's career. And I'm saying this kind of tongue in cheek because I know DJ at this stage of his career, if he hasn't learned how to deal properly with a loss and utilize what information, what useful information you can from that loss and discard the rest and move on, then I don't think he would be in the position that he's in having, you know, as many title defenses and the accolades, everything that he's accomplished in his career. Like you have to get to a point where you can take a loss and move on with something like that. And so I do believe that he's going to be able to come in this uh, fight and kind of um, you know with a clean slate mentally, so to speak, and perform at a uh, at, at at a top level where he's not like uh, afraid to pull the trigger, so to speak. And since we brought him up, let's talk about Rod Tang. He's facing Savas Michael, so this is just straight Muay Thai. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about Savas Michael? The whole world knows about Rod Tang. You know, in the yeah, well- he is. Well, I'll say this. What's interesting about this is that this is the the Grand Prix that's actually leading to Raw Tang's belt. And Raw Tang felt like he didn't want to um, to just sit around and wait for the Grand Prix to end. So he's like, I'll just jump in the Grand Prix too. So he, he put himself in the Grand Prix to compete against his own title. So it could end up being that he wins the Grand Prix to fight himself. But uh, this opponent that he has uh, with Sabath Michael, like this, this, when when I think of Rod Tang, I think of I think of things like precision, and we see Rod Tang in in the ring with um you know when he he'll let a guy you've seen him like where he gets clipped with a punch and then he stands there and lets a guy hit him or something as if he's reckless, but he, he's not really like these these make great clips and they fire the audience up, but Rod Tang's a very very calculated and, and precise fighter 
when you look at a guy like uh, Savas Michael, like this guy's coming in, he's tough. And I think that the danger here for, for Raw Tang is that Raw Tang could think that he is a level above uh, Savas Michael, but this is the kind of guy, he, he could be the dark horse of the tournament and somebody that you just cannot overlook. And if, if Raw Tang's made that strategic error of thinking like, oh, I'm just going to walk through this, this uh, the first person in this bracket because he's the champ anyway, that could be the beginning of his demise with somebody like Savas Michael. Yeah, I'll tell you what, when I first pulled up, you know, when I was looking up Savas Michael, the first picture that came up reminded me of Chris Hordesky. I don't know if you remember him back in the IFL days. And he had kind of like a, he looked like a young guy, you know, like a kid <laughs> fighting. And, and then sure enough, I start to look more into him and they call him the baby face killer. But yeah, he's yeah. no joke, man. He's, he looks like he's pretty tough. Um, Thank you yeah, for talking you, about this, man. You, when you look at a when you look at a picture of him, you think like, "Oh man, th- this young kid's getting fed to the lions here." But then when you start yeah. looking at it, his his rap sheet, you're like, "Oh, this is n- not what it appears at face value." Yeah, um, man, it's great. You know, we have uh, these cards are like 12, 12 hours apart, and then the new platform of Amazon, uh, excuse me, Amazon Prime. That's incredible. Is that? Did you say that's the one that you're going to be calling the fights, or you're going to be calling the fights on the earlier one? No, I'll be calling the fights on the Prime Video card. It's got to be air, exciting. Air in the U.S. It's got to be what? That's got to be exciting. I mean, a whole new different platform, a whole new different audience is going to be watching. I love it. Yeah, I mean this this is our this is our first event on Prime Video. We're really excited as a company. Really excited because this opens up. You know, I mean, Prime Video has. 200 plus million subscribers and so this is our this is our first real foray into the u.s so it'll be available on prime video for the u.s and canadian markets um and so this is going to open things up for us and obviously this is just uh the beginning of us actually stepping into the u.s with plans for 2023 next year and to be clear will you be on all prime videos uh telecast going forward or just this one I'm, I'm not really sure uh, that that'll depend on uh, the, the the production team and, and whether they, they want to bring me down for each of the cards. Um, and, and I'm working on so many other things like I'm, I'm working on like commission work, not in the US, but in other other areas globally as well. So I have a lot a lot of things that are on my plate otherwise for the company. But yeah, I will. I will. My plan is to commentate on as many of these prime video cards, if not all of them as possible. Well, that'll be awesome. And folks, on the 26th, 8 p.m. East, sorry, 8 a.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, it's one championship 160 with the Lee and Tang fight as the main event. Later that mm-hmm. night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Amazon Prime Video. That will be the card featuring Adriano Marias versus Demetrius Johnson. It is a rematch of the matchup they had last year. It's called One on Prime Video One. Real, real quick, real quick uh, uh, correction on you because you you got a little mixed up on your matches. It's it's Christian Lee versus Oak Rayun, and it's Tan Lee versus Tang Kai. Those are the two championship uh, bouts on on the on the one sixty card that's on the Asia side. So okay. it's not it's not Lee versus Tang. It's a uh, Lee versus Oak Rayun, and and Ta- it's Christian Lee versus Oak Rayun and Tan Lee versus Tang Kai. Got it. Yep. Got it. All right. Thank you for correcting that. And uh, thanks, Rich, for your time as always. Awesome. I appreciate you guys having me on. Always fun chatting with you. All right. Always good to catch up with Ace Franklin. And uh, yeah, he's all the way in Singapore goes, you know, a few times he's, he has stayed back in North America when they're having these big cards. I think a lot of it had to do with the pandemic, but he lived in Singapore for a while. Now he's moved back stateside 
but they really, really wanted him there, and he's contributing there from the uh, commentator side. Yeah, he's always in a good mood, man. I, I love that he's still a part of the sport. He's somebody from the old school days, maybe like that second generation of fighter, but to have him still involved in our sport is, is pretty dope. I like that. Me too. I did want to finish up one thing with Luke Rockhold, uh, if he listens. Man, Luke, let me tell you something. Um, being a strike force middleweight champ and a UFC middleweight champ, dude, you know how many people would want just one of those two? And he has two of them, including the UFC middleweight title. Like, bro, you accomplished a lot. So hats off to you. Your fights never sucked. Uh, it sucks that there was a little bit of some spells in between. But, uh, yeah, all I could say is take a bow. That was a really, really a great career, in, in my opinion, especially for a guy that um, this wasn't really his first sport. He was just kind of a tough guy. I think one brother was a pro volleyball player, and the other one was a pro surfer, and he was just trying to find what he's good at. Turns out he became a world champion, so he made his family proud. And then he got to date Demi Lovato. He's been sponsored by Polo. Like, he's really, really done a lot of things. Probably a lot more could have done. I'll agree with him there. But still, man, take a bow. And it will always be special to me. Our family friend, Grace, who's like a sister to us, when she was battling cancer, the messages you sent to her were awesome, man. And she loved them. She met Luke when she happened to be in town. And he happened to be an in-studio guest of ours. And, of course, he's dreamy. We got to give him that. And she thought, who is that? You know, uh, it's Luke Rockhold, world champion. So she's like one of his biggest fans but yeah when she went through cancer he sent her some really really cool messages and i thought that was just mm, tits yeah that was dope man um yeah great career overall and i hope we don't see the end of him you know i, I hope he remains somehow involved in mixed martial arts agreed all right how about daniel cormier and jorge masvidal you know i really like both guys and seeing both guys bicker I'm like, oh, man, I feel like I'm having a party at the house and two of your buddies are getting into it. You're like, what? I thought they'd get along. I thought we all got along here. And um, But literally two of my favorites. I guess Jorge's upset because DC on his DC and RC show on ESPN was telling Leon Edwards. I don't know if Leon Edwards was a guest or if he was just saying it out loud. I kind of only went over it on Twitter. But basically he was telling Edwards, uh-uh, uh-uh, you can't give a shot to Jorge Masvidal, because I guess Jorge Masvidal kind of shunned him a little bit. After three-piece in a soda, when Jorge was basically in the title hunt, and they would ask him about Leon, it was like one of the last things he was interested in talking about. He was focused on Kamaru Usman. I think DC saying, hey, now it's time for a little bit of payback. Now, I could see why that would piss Jorge Masvidal off, because um you're trying to take away his chance. Remember, he's kind of gotten railroaded. Once you're 0-2 against the champ, you ain't getting no whiff at a title shot, especially at age 37. Hell no. And then you lost to Colby Covington. That's a real, really, really tough road. But he sees an opening here because he embarrassed some dude in his home country in backstage. So Jorge's trying to push buttons. You know what I mean? I think Jorge would be the first guy to go, yeah, I know I don't deserve a title shot, but I'm pushing buttons because guess what? I can sell pay-per-views. And a lot of these champions, when they finally get there, they want to sell as many pay-per-views as possible and make as big of a check as possible. And Jorge does have that over Kamaru Usman, over Kobe Covington, over 
or Gilbert Burns or whatever. He's the second highest pay-per-view seller. So I see his point. He's pushing buttons. He's trying to revive that. I kind of see DC's point a little bit, but it almost seemed like uh, DC would have to be closely aligned with Neon to be making a statement like that. And on his show, I, I, I don't know that he's supposed to show, I guess, you know, like saddle up too much to one side or the other. Like he's not teammates with one or the other. Why is he kind of sticking his nose in in that business? Like I think that's how Jorge took it. What do you think? I think you can't wear both hats. You know, you're either a fighter or you're on the media side. And right now, uh, that particular show, um, he is a member of the media. And he has to kind of tell it for what it is. And the fact of the matter is just you, you can't give Jorge Masvidal a tackle shot. I, I don't – it just doesn't really make much sense. Now, could it happen because of the beef and all that? Absolutely. Absolutely it could be spun that way. But, uh, yeah, I don't know that that's so much to really get upset over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think it was way – I think if DC had just said – Hey, look, Jorge's had a few title shots. I see what he's doing. He's pushing buttons. But right now, you got to run that trilogy. That's fair. Everything he's saying is fair. You know, Jorge will probably have to pick up a win. But when you're a seller like Connor, like Jorge, like John Jones, you're always in the mix. Get a win or whatever. But he kind of almost made it sound like, no, no, remember what he did to you? That type of thing. You know what I mean? Almost mm-hmm. like the neighbor that's out there with a, with a chancla. You know what I mean? Like right. trying to instigate and stuff like that. I think Jorge's like, hey, settle down. Let us two neighbors settle it. You're down the street. You know, why are you getting involved here? So I get that. Daniel tried to calm things down, tried to accuse Malki Kawa of being the one that was jumping in there and maybe, you know, taking over the Twitter. Jorge was saying, you're probably bitter because I didn't do your shitty YouTube show. That Those were his words. Mm-hmm. So you could tell right away they were, they were kind of going at it. But, again, it's just your approach, man, your approach. This can be done in a way. I'm telling you, we've done it for 15 years. Where if you keep it respectful, honest, truthful, explain yourself and don't get too involved on either side, I'm telling you, man, you can be successful in this sport and not have to look over your shoulder. Not that DC's scared of Jorge or vice versa, but you know what I mean. Right. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. There's always a way of doing things where it's not so bad. And, uh, you know, it just depends, though. Like, maybe DC doesn't care. Maybe maybe he likes that, you know, a little bit of heat here and there. Uh, maybe brings eyeballs to his show. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, there's definitely ways where you can do things. And I think at the end of the day, the fighter has to respect who you are and respect your opinion. They don't have to agree. Correct. Yeah. Usually if you're telling the truth, they'll come around. Even if they're a hothead, at some point they'll go, ah, he's just doing his job. By then, sometimes they open their big pie hole, but whatever. All right, let's get to our next interview. Gil Melendez, a former WEC, former strike force and Shudo champion. Also a UFC veteran, done it all, gym owner, coach, everything, man. Got a lot to catch up on. Junkie Nation, what's up? Gorgeous George and Goes are back. We get to welcome former strike force lightweight champion, Gilbert Melendez, El Nino from Santa Ana. What's going on, Gil? How are you? That's right. Santa Ana in the house. Um, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, thanks for having me. 
Um, I'm currently in Niagara Falls. I can see it out my window over here in a hotel, uh, chilling with you guys talking. I'm going to do an LFA later tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what's up. So let's start with that. So I've noticed that you've been part of that rotation at LFA with Ron Kruk, doing what you've kind of been doing for many years back in the you know, ESPN days, Fox, we saw you on that studio. So you've definitely honed your skills so much easier for an athlete when they're done to kind of transition, but yet still be involved in the sport that they love. Can you, can you talk about that? I mean, I, I, you probably have done at least 10 years now behind the mic too, right? Yeah, you, you said it there. I mean, I, I truly love the sport. I, I was a fan of the sport before I was a fighter and uh, I'm still a fan to this day. Um, it's not as exciting as being in the cage and fighting, but being around it, uh, being next to Ron, calling the fights, being around all these young fighters who are really hungry. They're almost like that college level uh, football player who are, are super humble, uh, super excited and giving it their all. So I, I love getting a taste of that. I, I love seeing it firsthand in the cage. I love going in and interviewing people and, and uh, you know, even sharing my experiences with the young fighters. And, and anytime they ask me advice, I love to love to give it to them. And, and um, yeah, like I said, man, I just love the sport and it's fun to be around it and, and just BS with some with my homie Ron while while watching him. Are there any fighters so young that they may not have even remembered your career, and they're just like, you know, uh, I, I guess wondering where all this experience that, that comes out of your mouth is coming from? <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a young uh, there was a young fighter at the rules meeting, or we we're having fighter meetings yesterday, and he's going to make his pro debut, and and he kept you know referring back to you know well when you fight you'll you'll understand you'll fight you'll understand like if i if i don't understand and and i was like oh you know i was laughing about that but no but it's actually an interesting time uh because i'm 40 years old now and youngsters are watching me when they were 10 years old 13 14 15 so so i feel like <clears throat> those youngsters who saw me at that 10 year old to 14 15 year old age they have yeah. a, a certain different type of respect for you because they remember you from those years whereas when youngsters that were seeing me when they were 25 and i was 32 or i was 30 and they were 22 i think they still kind of viewed me as a as a competitor or, or someone they wanted to beat and i think that's out the window now and um so there's a lot of young humble guys that 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 really remember me and you know they make me feel old like i remember watching you at the at sap center with my dad when i was 13 years old and uh, how old are you now you know and you know they're out there doing their thing so so yeah i'm sure there's a lot of youngsters who don't know me george but the ones who do they're, they're happy to come up to me and say what's up and, and give me a lot of respect you know i would have that 10 second finish with diego sanchez ready to go and joe rogan <laughs> saying this is the greatest fight i've ever seen you know like <laughs> Kind of just hold it up in front of their face, you know, like, hey, you better, you, you better do some research, you know, pal yeah. or whatever. Yeah, get your your history lesson going. But you know what, man? Uh, that fight with Diego Sanchez, I mean, it's on almost every damn week somewhere on my feed or everything, so I don't have to do that. And it's it's actually great to have that experience with with Diego and in such a legendary fight that it's it's on my feed all the time. I thought I had many great fights in my career, but that one always pops up and. People yeah. ask me, do you get sick of hearing that? I was like, are you kidding me? Do I get sick of hearing that? No, I do not get sick of anyone mentioning that fight and being able to be um, immortal in the in the MMA world through that fight with Diego. Yeah, and you mentioned the SAP Center. How can we forget the trilogy with Josh Thompson? Those were some classics. You had a great career, man, with title defenses, uh, you know, a, a, a rival in Thompson, for example. A lot of times fighters are defined by i guess some of their rivalries and you guys pushed each other trading the belt back and forth that was also pretty cool you fought over in japan 
you know, if I'm not mistaken, there's a shooto belt there. Um, uh, uh, Strike Force, of course, UFC. So, you know, looking back, you got to be pretty damn proud. We we really haven't chatted, I guess, since your retirement. And in fact, before I ask you this question, are you retired or could could an Eagle FC pull you in like like they pulled in Diego or anyone else that maybe you know writes a a, a big check? Uh, what are your feelings on that? You seem to always be training fighters and staying in the shape. So let's go there, and then we can talk about memories. Yeah, I mean, um, as a fighter, I will always be a fighter, and, and I try to be as optimal as possible. I, I know I'm moving on as a, as a professional fighter. I am no longer, like, focused on being a prize fighter. I'm focusing on my gyms and producing athletes and staying in shape. But, of course, I, I don't think, you know um, – it's hard to completely hang it up if there's a great opportunity out there and it's the right fight. Um, you know, I, I'm not into fighting youngsters who want to like stick and move and kick my leg and run. Uh, but, uh, but I do, <laughs> I, I do, I do love fighting and, um, and I could definitely be enticed to come back. Of course, um, there's that fight in me. Uh, but I do recognize, um, um, I do recognize that, uh, that, that time in my life is, is is over or, or damn nearly over so i have been trying to move on and, and focus my energy in other places yeah. so my my 100 focus isn't my training you know it was great when you can wake up train you know everyone takes care of you because you're on this mission you train again and everyone takes care of you some more and they're just supporting you along the way and and right now it's more like i'm getting my training in as much as possible and supporting everyone else and, and trying to run business and and do a lot of other things and, and i'm out here but um, but yeah, I love fighting and 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 if I were to fight, I, I would definitely, you know, you said Eagle FC. I mean, great organization. I, I think if there's anyone who really promoted me well was was, was Scott Coker and and uh, I I'm, I am interested in you know interested maybe even boxing. Some of that stuff does interest me, uh, and I do get hungry and I do watch fights and I start foaming, I start shadow boxing. I'm like, I could whoop that dude, you know. That's I start going that direction. That that I try right. to bring it. That I try to bring it down a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much has happened in our sport that I always learned to never, never say never. Pat Militich fought later in his career because the right offer came. You know, he did it in boxing and MMA. Henzo Gracie, Hoist Gracie, Tito and Chuck. I think they fought for De La Hoya. You just never know what might come about out there. So it's good to hear that the door's not completely shut. But you said, hey, pretty much as a prize fighter, I am done. You're focusing on new things. So then let me ask you this. Um Aside from probably what we named the the Thompson fights, you know your uh, your title defenses, Diego. Do you have other moments that stand out that maybe don't get talked about uh, in in terms of like fond moments of the of your career? Yeah, I've had a, I, I feel like I've had a, a great journey. You know, I mean, I can go through them all. I mean, um, my first time fighting in Hawaii was great. I got to fight the number two 145 pounder in the world. And this is young in the sport, Stephen Bozo Paulin. Uh, you know, I just looked at it as a win, getting a free trip to Hawaii, you know, getting some pocket change. My boy Jake's out there. My boy Toucan's out there. Larry's out there. And, you know, and I win. And then, you know, that was a great experience. And because of that, I got to go to Japan. Had many great experiences out there. I think my first fight in pride against Kawajiri was uh was big for me because he was ranked number two in the world at the time mm -hmm. and uh we had a legendary fight a lot of people called it fight of the year and, and what was what made me so proud about that fight is the fact that he dropped me in the first round he dropped me and he was on top of me and and at that moment i you know i spoke to myself obviously it happens quick because it's real time 
And I said, hey, man, we're either going to get up or we're going to stay down here. And, and I was able to get up and uh, and finish the fight and get a W and, and buckle him a little bit, drop him and, and really take it to him and come back. And and overcoming adversity is huge. You know, that's what I love about fighting and, and um, you know, to 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 overcome adversity. And and I did that in that fight. And that was huge for me. So, um, so yeah, man, that was that was probably one of my greatest moments. I, I enjoyed that. And of course, the Thompson fights. Uh, you know, going five rounds with Masvidal was great for me too. Uh, uh, you know, avenging all my losses against a, avenging my loss against Ashida. You know, that was a great moment. A lot, a lot of great moments, man. I don't want to, I don't want to go into it. But if you have, if you have a lot of time and some beers, man, I'd, I'd happily go down it and, and, and elaborate a lot more. That'll definitely have to be in the future. And I'm glad you brought up Tatsuya Kawajiri, man. Definitely one of my favorite Japanese fighters of all time. What an entertainer! What a scrappy dude. Yes. Um, and then what about on the side of, uh, I guess, any regrets, any, you know, anything you look back on and go, ah, I wish I wouldn't have done that or, or I wish I would have fought this way or anything on that end? Yeah, I mean, you, you look back, and, you know, uh, you look back and, you know, I, I feel like I did things right. I, I loved my fight career. I, I did get tired at the end, you know, and, and uh, though my last fights in the UC weren't the best, uh, financially, I was the biggest winner at that time. Um, so sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what I accomplished, you know, and I'm, and I, and I went down a, a tough lineup over there and, and, uh, at the UFC, but, um, no, I'm, I'm really proud of what I accomplished. You know, there's certain things you look back on and I would have fought differently this way, but it's not, um, you know, it's not, you know, you just weren't prepared, you know, like, uh, you know, the first time I fought Thompson, uh, you know, he surprised me with his movement, uh, a lot of teeps and kicks on my body is something I, I, I've never really experienced and, and it forced me to evolve because of it. But, um, you know, when I look back on my on my fight with uh, Benson Henderson for the title, which I, I believe I won, um, you know, I feel like, oh, man, I look back. What if I just did a little bit more, pressed a little bit more? You, yeah, you, you have these regrets, you know, and, and you yeah. look back at those things. But uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm comfortable with everything. You know, like you, you have your ups and downs in fighting. I mean, that's what the sport is, but I love chasing dreams. I love chasing, chasing great moments. Um, I treat every day like a fight to this day. You know, I'm always fighting for my family. I'm fighting for my team. It's just my, my attitude. It's kind of how my dad brought me up and what I learned from my Santa high school wrestling. And I learned from my team, a Gracie fighter. And, and, um, and you know, and what I, you know, I'm, I'm good with everything. You know, I'm, I'm happy. I, I appreciate it. And I'm loved. I was, I was loved before fighting. I'm loved by my friends and family after. So, uh, yeah, man, no, I'm good. Yeah, you know what? I failed to mention you also you also have a WEC belt as well. Um, so one hell of a career. Uh, and don't forget, folks, Gil's got a win over Lorenzo Fertitta. When you brought up the whole I made out well on certain contracts, I remember back in the day, I mean, you had some great timing. I think you had a great re-sign with Strikeforce, and then you had a great offer uh, – you know, a free so you, you your free agency was done, you know, very well, and then coming over to the UFC, I know that it you know Lorenzo was brought in, and there was some like high stakes poker kind of being played there, and we don't mean this as any disrespect to Lorenzo, obviously, but this was one of those where I guess you got backed into a corner, you made a decision, and then the UFC said, all right, you know, and and uh, and kind of dropped their cards, so. Yeah. I don't know what you know. I don't know if you want to clarify any of that or whatever, because like I said, when you mentioned it, something about it earlier, I was like, "Yeah, man, he did. You scored very well in that department." 
yeah, I was definitely proud of that moment. I mean, as a fighter, you 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 don't really have the edge. Maybe when you're young, you know, you think you're a, you think you're the boss, but you know, Lorenzo's the boss, Dana's the boss, and and it, it's it's sometimes it's tough for fighters to to recognize that when you're when you're one of the best in the world. Um, but I but I I feel like I had a good business sense. I had really good people around me. Uh, I knew um, arguments and and. Uh, hostile discussions are made to happen behind closed doors and um and in front of the cameras you you have to lift everyone up and um and it's very it's very it's very rare to have pocket aces you know pocket aces and i had pocket aces so i had to i had to go all in against uh against some um, you know against the ufc and everyone at that time and i think i'm the one of the first people who who, who really got to play the market the way i did and I think a lot more people do nowadays. And I'm one of the first people that was able to negotiate certain things in their contracts, you know, where, um, you know, maybe you can lose five in a row and not get cut and get guaranteed money. You know, I think that stuff is unheard of. Um, so I consider that stuff a W. Um, but yeah, I feel like I placed myself in a great position. I really beat Benson Henderson. I had the best fight ever against Diego Sanchez. And and I happened to be, um, you know, uh, my, my contract was up. So I was in a great position and I, I played ball. Uh, I think I played it respectfully and I think things got heated a little bit, but that's the name of the business, right? If, 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 if things go smoothly and everyone's hugging and kissing and you sign a contract, uh, that means you got ripped off. But if you go through some hurdles and, and, you, and, you, and you bump some heads and you ruffle some feathers, um, you probably worked hard to get what you deserve. And, and there's, there's no, I didn't, I didn't get no one up on, on anybody. You know, it was just, it was just business. Uh, Dana's the man. Lorenzo's the man. Those guys are the man, dude. They're, they're, they're the businessmen of men of all. And, and I, I was I was small potatoes. It was a big win for me. But, you know, for them, it was probably not much, you know. But, um, but you know, they also get to spar that fight every day. They get to spar these fights every day with these contracts, right? We, we, we don't get to spar these fights every day. We, we, we fight, fight. So they get the reps in on that, and it's nothing to them. And not, not just Dana and Lorenzo and just whoever owns an organization, Scott Coker, um, you know, whoever's, you know, everyone running one FC, all these great organizations out there. That's, that's their game. They know that game. So you just try as a fighter to, to play your cards as best as possible and try to be a team player and, and uh, try to prove your worth. And, and then you just try to cash in when you can. Cause, cause it's, um, I had a long career and, you know, I still might squeeze a little bit more and, but it's still a short career and no matter what, you know, we get 20 years, 15 years in this game where other people get 30 and they're, professions and and that and all that kind of stuff um but yeah i'm proud of those moments and and um you know i don't brag about them all the time but uh, but i am proud of those moments and and uh yeah it was a great time yeah well i just gotta say you know gilbert melendez you're a shrewd businessman i tip my hat to you hey, hey i'll take that man appreciate you no i wasn't that. talking to you i was talking to your dad because he was the manager he was the one that negotiated oh the deal. <laughs> why are you setting me up for that why are you trying to make me look stupid george you're doing that shit bro Hey, early man, on, lie. you, early you on, like those I, jokes, bro. You like those jokes. Yeah, early okay. on, I gave you the W, you know. But right here, I thought, ah, a little Santa Ana humor. All right, yeah, go ahead, the, Ghost. What do you got? The, and that's the ah. <laughs> Plus, your dad gets the props. Your dad hey, gets the props, right? You hey, love him, right? We love I him. I love my hey, yeah. senior man. He he, yeah, man. He he whipped me in shape, and uh, he's my best bro to this day. Yeah, I I got I got a shout out your dad too. He's awesome. We we love him. Yeah. Hey, we got um, a, a, got a shout out Eric Salazar too, man. He's a new dad now. He's a new dad. Yeah, oh, Salazar, you know, shout out nice. To him. Yeah, right. he's been a trip. I, I love Eric. Um, I, I do want to. So we brought up Diego Sanchez in that fight. You feel like it's only a matter of time before you get that call 
and they tell you, hey, what's your jacket size? We, we got something for you. Oh, man. I, I don't know. I, 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 I do think about that. I try not to dwell on those things that you have no control over, you know, but um, sometimes I do think about it when Steve, people see those yellow jackets and, and you know, people bring it up and, you know, I, I don't like to show too much, but of course, man, I'd love to have a yellow jacket alongside, you know, with our legendary fight. It would be, it definitely be an honor. I definitely like to do that. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and Diego's one person I think of that if I were to, to do it again it's been about nine years since we fought you know maybe in our maybe in our 10 year that that's one that makes me think i i'd probably want to i would probably do that one again well i think that's why probably george brought up eagle and well you brought up bellator and that made me think why not do the benson one again if you were to come back and do that over at bellator what would you think of that rematch because you're right a lot of people had you win in that fight yeah, I look at Benson too, and I see his success out there. I see he's doing a great job out there. He's someone. He's someone I think about fighting as well. Those those are guys I, that are on my radar sometimes. That you know that hey man, I'd love to run some of those back. You know, maybe even Josh Thompson Ford. Those are some things you know that I can get motivated for to, you know, to get out of my seat and and do it. But uh, but again, you know, if I do do it, you know, I want to get paid. I want to do it right. Gil, so let's keep it real for a second here. Uh, love this new generation of fighters, but there's something about these guys that came from WEC Strike Force. You guys are just cut from a different cloth, man. What is it about you guys in that era that, boy, you produced a lot of good fighters and just a lot of great moments in sports? It seemed like you just had this different drive. Yeah, well, when I started this this fighting stuff, it wasn't about fame. It wasn't about fortune. It wasn't about Instagram and popularity. There was none of that, actually. By the time I was like seven or eight and no, I was still trying to educate people what mixed martial arts is and what UFC is, what fighting is, what, what I was doing in Japan. So you got to understand that um, I took this path not to become a celebrity, not to become rich, but to travel the world, to test myself. I, I did the warrior way. You know, I just want to travel and test myself and be, become one of the best fighters. And of course, make some money along the way, but there wasn't this giant pot of gold at the end of it you know where where i think um now you have athletes who are, are who are coming up in the sport and and they're looking at it you know they're trying to build their instagram you know they're trying to you know they want to make money you know they're you know their their focus is in other is getting taken away from other other things they, they have different goals um so i think it's a little bit different man and you know, I'm not I'm not a really knocker and trying to knock the algorithms and, and, and the science now. You know, I, I think a heart rate monitor is great and there's things but you know, I got young kids, you know, they don't want to listen, they want to go to the Instagram or, or they want to go on YouTube to 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 learn something or they're not as uh, they don't want to learn as much or they're looking at their their watches and they're saying, Oh, I'm I'm overtrained today. I my watch says I need to take three days off and I just wanna smash their watches sometimes and be like, What the you talking about man you know like i know i know overtraining is a real thing when you talk to to athletes who overtrain like oh no overtraining is a real thing but they, they don't mean take a bunch of days off all the time they mean like hey sometimes after eight weeks of hard work it's good to take four days off and relax and regroup and stuff you know but uh but i, I don't know maybe the old school mentality is a little different i, I think there's still a lot of people like that i, I just think there's a lot of things uh, factored into the sport now you know the the entertainment part right you know everyone knows you can't just be you have to be a try to get a black belt in marketing uh, a black belt in shit talking now and and um you know it's, it's just a little bit different but there's some there's some true warriors out there who who i think their their intent is just to become the best martial artists out there um and then there's you know and there's others out there that i, I don't blame them for trying to 
you know, build their brand up and, and do their thing. But your question is, what is the difference? And I think those were the difference. You know, we weren't chasing fame, fortune, Instagram followers, and we're just trying to change, uh, chase the warrior life. Oh, George, your mic just went out again. Good. I think it was some shit talking joke right there. So I'm <laughs> glad you cut him off, Coach. Good job. All right. Let's see. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You muted yeah. him. Great work. Great work. Yeah, it's taking yeah, a while. That's way better right there. Let's do it. Right it's there. taking a while to finally mute that guy. But, <laughs> but yeah, dude, no, you know, everything you just said, man, that really just that hit home. You're right. Uh, I've seen that in the gyms before. It's just a different mentality. There's guys like Luke Rockhold, right, who's going to be fighting soon that are still doing this and doing it at a high level. And then you have your guys like Dominic Cruz, who just suffered a loss. Jose Aldo, they're still around. So, um a lot of them are cut from that same cloth. Are you back, George? I hope so. How do I sound? Good. Okay. Um, I wanted to just crack another joke. I was just going <laughs> to say, these young kids, remind them this is the scrap pack, not the nap pack. Three days off is ridiculous. These watches, yeah, man, it's got to be done. I mean, you guys set the like the blueprint. You, the Diaz boys, Jake Shields, and then all the different other people that – you know, worked around you guys for so many years. I mean, think about how many belts that is, how many um, pay-per-views have been sold. You know what I mean? Like, that, it, yeah. that's pretty unique, that quartet uh, of you four. Absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, so, like, I, I don't know. That, that that tripped me out. Three days off, my watch says this, I got to stop. Wow. I You know, like, I would think once I enter the door, at, you know, at Scrap Pack 3.0, like, whatever you say goes, coach. Yeah, yeah. I, I love soldiers. Those are my favorite fight. They're, they're out there still, though, right? I'm looking for soldiers, people who just who just want to just follow direction. That's what I was, you know. And then I also look for people to, to reach out. Like every every morning you, you text your coach where and when is practice. I'll be there. You know, you don't try to avoid your coach, you know. And, um, you know, and I get a lot of youngsters telling me, you know, what's what's the uh, you know, what's the what's the rhythm? You know, what's the algorithm or how do you get in cardio? What, what's this and that? You know, I'm like, man, you just got to go through hell. You know, like what's the, you know, we got to do your sprints. You got to spar your three, five minute rounds. You got to spar 25 minutes. People say they can train for three hours straight and, and they can. I can train for three hours, four hours straight, but I bet I can get you tired in 15 minutes, 25 minutes replicating a fight, you know, and you'll be on your back, you know, like about to barf, right? So, you know, I, I think, you know, when people ask me, oh, how do you get in shape? I, you know, you go to hell, you go to hell and back, you know, you put yourself in those situations and you push. You know, but um, but we do have a lot of great warriors at the gym, you know, but I look for those people. I, you know, um, Jake is a really good job. does a really good job of calling people out. And, and, you know, if you're sitting on the wall, taking a round off, he'll, you know, he'll call you a little bitch and, and, and tell you to come out. You know, I, I don't I'm not very good at that. If you want to be that guy in the corner, I'm like, go for it. You know, I'm not going to gravitate towards you. But if you're a guy who's in the gym every day and putting his time in and 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 uh and doing hard work i'm gonna gravitate towards you and you know they gravitate towards me and and we work hard together because i'm still in the gym every day except i'm not here right now but you better believe i'll be there by by 10 a.m when i step off the plane you know tomorrow and i'll fly yeah. from here back over there and i'll be in training helping my guys out and and getting some roles in myself um but i try to set that example but back to what you're saying about our team you know i i, I really think if you look back on our careers and and who we fought and and what we did and and how we did it, it was just, we just outworked the competition and we just put ourselves through hell and back to get prepared for it. It was that simple. Gil, since we brought up Jake, we see him a lot at Extreme Couture. And it reminds me of a time where I think after Quartet, 
you guys were kind of speaking out loud publicly in front of people. And there was a thought of maybe even you possibly coming to Vegas. Did you give ever give that any serious thought? Or do you have your roots planted firmly in Frisco? In fact, uh, if, I, if I may, um, there was even thoughts of maybe one day returning to Southern California. So can you update us as far as like personally uh, what your thoughts are regarding that? Yeah, I, Vegas is a great place. Um, it's a it's a fighter's town. Uh, you know, my boy Jake is out there. He's he's a big part of my life. He's a big brother. He's a coach. He's a mentor. I, I look up to him. He's he's my guy. So um, so when he says something, I definitely consider it. Um, and yeah, of course, during the pandemic and all the hard times, you, you, you sometimes you want to go somewhere where a gym is welcome, and you don't want to go through some of those hurdles, and you want to be with your your team, and you just want to get right to it. Uh, but in Southern California is where I'm from. I got a lot of family out there. My wife has family down there and, and, uh, they try to get me down there, but I just, I love the Bay area. I've worked so hard and, and, and during the pandemic, you know, I started doing a little speakeasy training and, you know, one, two, three, four, five people just started showing up little by little. And, and, and during that time, I really recognized I was, yes, I was a top martial artist gym. Mm-hmm. And great, great training and everything. But I, I really recognize I was a, I was a well, I'm a damn wellness center. Uh, I was really, you know, helping people during a hard time, you know, uh, just to be able to have a safe place to come exercise, to become a better mixed martial artist, uh, a safe place, um, you know, where you can be whoever you are. And we respect anyone who just trains their ass off on the mats, you know, and and uh, and I think gyms are great that way because there is a, a pecking order. And people don't think that's good sometimes, but I think it's great. You know, you kind of earn your respect there uh, through your training. There's really no discriminating. It's just if you work hard and and you earn it, you know, you move up. That's just how it goes. Uh, But to your question, I I plan on staying in the Bay Area right now. I I have San Francisco. I'm opening up a second one in the marina on Union Street out there. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like the city's coming back to life. And and I think um, the the Scrap Pack way, I I have a new – you know, I have a new dream and vision to kind of spread it out, open more gyms and and uh, and be like, a, a you know, be an MMA gym and teach everyone everything I've learned about uh, boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, wrestling, jujitsu and and more importantly, about community, uh, about um, about family, about working together, about having some courage, having discipline, all those things I, I like to share with my community. And and um, yeah, so so. So the Bay Area is, is where I'm going to be for a minute, but but in a perfect world, brother, I would love to be in the Bay Area. I'd love to be in SoCal eventually and in Vegas, all three of them. Those are definitely dreams and and things I'm trying to push for one of these days. Well, no one will put, no one will put it past you. You've accomplished a lot of your dreams. So, yeah, keep keep that faith. Maybe it'll happen one day. Um, just a couple more here because I know, obviously, you got fights to call tonight. Uh, you mentioned your wife, Carrie Ann. I know she had a fight scheduled earlier this year, um, but about half of the year has gone by. So can you update us? A undefeated fighter, packs a lot of power in her punch as well, just like you did back in the day. Um, do you see her fighting this year? Was there an injury or what can you tell us about that and, and, and everything going on in her career? You're her, you're her head coach, right? Yeah, definitely her head coach. Um, and we have a bunch of coaches that help her as well. So, um, of course. But, uh, yeah, my wife, I think she's a great fighter. Um, you know, there, there was, uh, you know, during the re-signing process, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough 
tough thing for Carrie because you know she's she's more of like a 115 actually 120 would be a perfect weight class for her but she was fighting 115s uh for for Bellator and there wasn't really a 115 weight class though so it, first what took us some time is really making the decision that she wants to to take the risk and going up to 125 and, and fighting some badasses in Bellator there's some great 125 pound ladies out there that are tough um so so when she made that decision and, and we went through with it it was uh, it took a minute you know and, and you know to put on size and to feel like okay i can do this that took that took a while uh, as soon as we made that decision she you know she separated her shoulder and, and and had a pretty bad injury and so that's kind of put things on the side and um but she's been working hard and she's the type of person and and you know for me i i, I don't care if she fights or not I really you know i just i want to help her accomplish her goals and, and push her to to do what she wants um, so, you know, I know she wants to make sure she feels ready and, 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 uh, and it's the right time, but as you get older, you kind of realize, you know, it's never the right time. You're, you're always going to be injured. There's always going to be little hiccups and things like that. Uh, but making that 125 pound debut is a, is, is a lot of pressure for her. And, and, but I think, um, I think we're going to get a fight in before the end of the year here. She's feeling healthy. She's been hitting pads. She feels sharp. I, I have a ton of confidence in her. She's really hard on herself, but I, I think she's an amazing fighter and, and I hope to see her fight by the end of the year. It is the plan. That's great to hear. And we wish her a speedy recovery. And then your boy, Nate Diaz, obviously has a big fight coming up against Hamzat Shemaev. You know, in the past 20 years, you guys have worked together, whether it's every day or maybe once a week. You guys have uh, been head coaches, lead cornermen, things like that. What's your relationship nowadays with Nate? Have you guys... Have you been involved in any of the preparations? Will you be involved? And, and on fight night, will, will you, I guess, be there to support in any capacity? Yeah, Nate's my brother. All, all, the, all those boys are my brothers. Um, you know, we are uh, kind of spread out a little bit more now. Uh, I'm, I'm focused on, on my youngsters over here. I have, a, I have a really, you know, good amateur squad coming up. We have a really good uh, pro fighter, Hyder, Hyder Emil, who just – just had a big win in, in uh, a main event against Chase Gibson and Alafe. So uh, we have a lot of guys that we're bringing and taking care of over here. And and Nate's doing the same thing. He has his his, his whole crew out there that he's focusing on. And um, so we don't see each other as much. We talk all the time on the phone. But, of course, I'm going to make my way up there and get some training in and go support him, give him my two cents. He's always so humble and, and so great. And he always listens to everybody and takes it in and, and um and you know he's training his ass off always and, and we do talk we, we get some facetimes in and and we text each other and all that and i would definitely be there to support um you know like i said it's a challenge for us to be together every every second every day like when we're youngsters and you know that's all we did is dedicate our time to that uh, but he has a really good squad of people around him all the time that are always pushing him and and that are just you know trying to walk alongside him and and uh and soak up, soak up as much greatness as they can um, but definitely, I'm there to support him. Uh, I'll, I'll be there in Vegas to watch him. And, you know, he knows anytime he needs me, he can call me. I check up on him all the time. And, and I plan on next week going to go check him out there and bring some guys up and, and you know, give him some good wrestling looks and, and all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, again, Gil, thank you so much for letting us catch up with you. It's been a minute. T touched on a lot of different topics. And uh, we wish you the success in whatever you do. First up is obviously calling the fights with Ron Kruk, LFA. Uh, still one of the top organizations that has groomed a lot of fighters who have become major stars like Gilbert was. And uh, so obviously we wish you the best on the call tonight. And then anything happening in the future, whether it's, 
you know, one more fight, let's do it. Or, you know, coaching your wife, whatever it is, opening new gyms. We wish you the greatest success as always. Hey, thank you guys very much, man. I was uh, have a good time chatting with you guys. And uh, yeah, hopefully we do it again soon. Well, that was fun. Good to catch up with Gil, right? It's been a minute. Yeah. Kind of got him with that joke, though, right? Gil Melendez Sr. is his manager. <laughs> yeah, if I remember, I think you've, you've blasted him on a couple times like that. I think one was at the house. That was oh, a really good one. Yeah, so I think he has taken a share of those jokes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it, it only works because his dad is also Gilbert Melendez. So if you say a compliment towards Gilbert Melendez, of course he's going to, you know, straighten out his tie and go, yeah, yeah, he's getting ready to receive his award. Then you go like, no, it's talking about your dad. But in this case, not only is his dad also give Melendez, he really was his manager. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to also give Senior his props. You could see Gil saying, yeah, man, my dad deserves a lot of props because he was right at his side. Both those guys worked together. And that was awesome, especially in this day and age where a lot of fighters say you don't need a manager. Um, he was at least able to confide in his pops. So that was outstanding. What a great relationship to do it together. He uh, did a pretty good job of it, too, as well. You know, that's not his – he's not a manager for everyone else or anything like that. Like, he just kind of handled it, and I thought he did a really good job. Exactly. He was the opposite of uh, Angel and Danny Garcia. Like, <laughs> Angel's all meddling and talking and yapping. Gilbert's really cool and reserved, Gilbert Sr. Let's finish up with this, goes. Uh, I just have two quick things. Kayla Harrison, we did have an interview with her, but it was in her post-fight in England where she was trying to appeal to the crowd because they're obviously uh, a monarch nation, right? They have Queen Elizabeth II. And so I think first Sean O'Connell was saying, are you trying to get a USA chant going? That kind of fell a little flat, and then she kind of went the route of a queen. She took a shot at her three Brazilian competitors that tend to run from her because she's obviously a ground specialist. But she also meant literally like they don't want to fight her. Cyborg Santos, uh, Amanda Nunes, and Larissa Pacheco. Now, up until recently, her and Amanda Nunes, I thought were a lot more friendly than mm -hmm. to be accusing somebody of running. And then Amanda Nunes, what was she supposed to do? I mean, she lost her title, which, by the way, remember – Kayla Harrison was there and she looked disappointed, whether it was because of a friend or the fact that she may have missed out on a big opportunity. I don't know. But Amanda Nunes is going to try and get that fight back. She's going to try and get the Pena fight, not necessarily worry about Kayla Harrison. So I wouldn't accuse her of running because Amanda Nunes seemed to have fought everyone, including Shevchenko and Chris Cyborg. And then I don't know if it was a shot at Larissa Pacheco or what, but I thought Larissa Pacheco was kind of done her own, man. Larissa Pacheco was taking two losses against. Kayla Harrison, and she's still there. You know what I mean? And we're all excited about the final. But regardless, she went the route of saying I'm the queen. This is where I'll agree with her. She's the queen of combat sports. Because if you throw in her two gold, medal, two gold medals in the Olympics, 2012 in London, 2016 in Rio de Janeiro, and that world championship gold medal, that along with back-to-back -back titles in the PFL and being the draw that she is, I think she could claim to be a combat sports queen for sure. I think, I think that's a plus one. I think that's a plus one. Settle down on MMA Queen right now, Kayla. We can't give you that one, man. You're still trailing a few ladies. What was that, goes? I think that's a close one because combat sports, I agree. But you got to look at Ronda Rousey. She didn't get a gold medal. But she still medaled. But what she did on the MMA side at the highest level 
and kind of helping pioneer mm-hmm. uh, a bit a sport, that one might be close. But I feel like Kayla would take it, you know, with with some well, significance. You're right. Kayla has her three gold medals to Ronda's silver or bronze, but Ronda's got the five title defenses along with, you know, spearheading taking women's MMA to another level. Because we got to give credit to Gina Carano, Chris Cyborg. They were the initial ones, you know, that that took this thing to another mm-hmm. level, but or at least got things going. Ronda took it to another level. Um, but I just thought of something. Sports entertainment or not. You got to give those athletes at WWE something, and yeah. Ron also has that too. So I didn't Ron mean to do that. Thing. I didn't want to be the guy to say that, but I, I do think it's somewhat impressive, you know. So maybe it's just a little percentage at the end that you add, mm. but I think there is something to that. Ask the MMA fighters that have gone and tried professional wrestling. It is not as easy as people think, just because the outcome is predetermined. So just because I know Goza's is going to pin me 20 minutes into the match doesn't mean that me jumping off the top of a hell in the cell or the third rope or getting body slammed or tombstone, that shit don't feel good, you know, or 619, whatever. That still takes a lot of athletic ability and then grabbing the mic, getting people going, fighting through the booze and, you know what I mean? That, that, and then doing it, what, 250 shows a year, man? You know, that, that, that takes a lot, a lot of dedication. So you got to give them the respect for that. But anyway, uh, the last thing was this goes. This week, Leon Edwards, in defeating Kamaru Usman, he, Kamaru Usman lost his top part, his top, the top billing on the pound for pound list. It went Kamaru Usman, Israel Adesanya, and Alexander Volkanovsky. You wouldn't believe how much heat I've taken that Volkanovsky wasn't already number one going into that fight. But that he wasn't number one after Kamaru Usman lost. And let me explain something to you guys. For one, I've been doing this for a long time. I know what the fuck I'm doing. Two, Usman had five title defenses, had never lost in the UFC, and was about to tie Anderson's record for most consecutive wins in the UFC. Amazing records. Cleaning out a division and everything. He is ahead of Israel Adesanya. In that regard, they had identical records. Israel Adesanya was, he, he became champion after Usman. And he's right up there too, man. All right, don't get me wrong. He's right up there too. And then Volkanovski just got his fourth title defense. But now that Usman's out, Israel takes that first spot. Why Israel out of, over Volkanovski? Volkanovski does have one or two more wins in his overall record. But Volkanovski lost once, all right, outside the UFC to someone who isn't even UFC caliber. Izzy's only loss was when he went up to light heavyweight and he lost to Jan Blachowicz, another champion. So he's also got one more title defense, and I believe he's done more to clear out his division than Volkanovski, who basically has beaten Brian Ortega, Max Holloway, and the Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie wasn't a number one contender. He filled in for Max Holloway. I feel like Adesanya, man, he's been taking out killers, all right? Whitaker, who earned his second shot. First, Whitaker to win, but Whitaker in his second shot, well-earned. Cannoneer, well-earned. Costa, well-earned. You know what I mean? Like, we're splitting hairs here, folks. We're splitting the atom. But there is a difference still between Israel Adesanya and Volkanovski. And honestly, I didn't even have to say all that. All I had to do was say he has one more title defense. 
And but I threw in that other fact that if you want to go off quality losses, the using the losing the Jan Blahovic is is as impressive as it gets compared to the other guys that the other guys have lost to. But anyway, that's all I'm going to say on that. And that's this week's show. Anything else goes on the way out? No, just uh, I kind of wasn't feeling you until you said it. And then I, I, I can agree with that. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I know Volkanovski was more impressive than Adesanya at UFC 276. Even Adesanya will tell you that. So he closed the gap. But still, four versus five, the quality loss. You know, he's at number two. What do you want, folks? He's at number two. So Usman from the guy. Usman falls at number three. And with that, we're out of here, folks. Hopefully you enjoyed the two interviews with the two legends. And we'll see you all on Monday. Don't forget to keep it locked throughout the weekend. If you're on MMA Junkie, we got you covered. And thank you all those who checked out our Spinning Back Click franchise series. We dropped it a, a day early. Hopefully you guys like that. Go out there and be a champion. <laughs>